0: welcome to another episode of the tromedy hour i am your host jonas barnes uh here today and uh per usual right now lauren's not on the show but uh that's fine she's out doing her thing she's uh she's out performing right now so i swear to god one of these days we will have her on the show too She is still the co-host of this thing, goddammit, even if it's just me on the show most of the time. Uh, But you know the drill. We're going to give a disclaimer at the beginning here. uh, Just letting everybody know that neither myself nor my guest is a doctor or a psychiatrist or a a psychologist. That's not what we're doing. Uh, We're just real people talking about real problems that society usually tells us not to talk about. And we're letting you know that it is okay to talk about those things and to even have fun with some of these dark things that we go through. So that's what we're doing today. Uh, I have a very special guest on the show. He's one of my favorite people. I've performed with him multiple times, especially when I came up in comedy in Seattle and Portland over in the uh, Pacific Northwest. And he is somebody who specifically does talk about a lot of these things very openly and very frankly in his act. So uh, welcome to the show, Michael Malone. How are you doing?
1: Hey, I, first, of all, I love the name. Uh, it's such a great podcast name i love it the <laughs> hour it's fucking beautiful thank you sir how you doing man I'm wonderful, man. I'm uh, I'm in Vegas. Uh, it's you know, it's it's great. I can't complain. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, I mean, yeah, you I've know, been, Vegas is great for about four days, and then you're like, I'm gonna drown myself in a bathtub. Listen, uh, <laughs> if we're gonna be
0: talking about if we're gonna be talking about suicidal tendencies, there is no better place to be than <laughs> Vegas for that conversation.
1: This is the last stop for a lot of people, and yeah. you you see why, you know. I've talked, you know, it's kind
0: of funny when I have friends that are like, oh, yeah, I want to go to Vegas. I've never been there. I want to spend a week there. I was like, no, you fucking don't. You want to spend three to four days there at most. Yes. Yes. Any (laughs) more than
1: four days. You're like, fuck this.
0: Yeah. And like one of those days is purely going to be recovery. Like it just there's not even if you don't (laughs) drink, you're just like you're recovering from the people, from the sun, from the absolute garbage food that you're eating. Like just trash you know
1: yeah it's just a trash it's just it's just an extended version of walmart it's just like the director's cut of a (laughs) of a super walmart the director's (laughs) cut of a walmart
0: that's terrifying that's (laughs) all right where are we talking like the snyder cut of walmart yeah yeah jesus no it's funny vegas i like i like vegas for a lot of reasons i have a lot of friends that live there now actually um and i've performed in vegas you know a handful of times yeah. and uh i know a lot of people have moved there for comedy because you're performing at brad garrett's comedy club uh, right now
1: yeah I'm, and I'm being spoiled yeah this is it, I, th- I i think it's the best club in town i'm not just saying that because i'm here i i think it's the best place to perform in vegas
0: it is and honestly most people in vegas that are like Vegas comics even if they're like the comics that are you know like fucking jaded and like you know I'm not past there like they'll still say like it's the best fucking club in town you know and it's kind of like even in new york people that don't perform at the comedy cellar are still like well yeah it's the best club in town like (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah yeah i'm probably never going to touch that stage but still it's the best club in town you know
1: and they do such a good job because you know clubs that are run by comics or owned by comics are so different than clubs that are run by just some guy who either bought a a building or who used to do comedy nothing worse than a club being run by somebody who used to do comedy (laughs) oh oh Oh. the, the all that, that bitterness is just on the walls and just you can just feel it in the room. Um, but Brad... But did they and- sign that wall? No, they were
0: actually scratching their name into it because <laughs> yeah. they were trying to re- leave this place and they wanted they to tell to people...
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But Brad really, really takes care of everybody here. He's such a giving person, uh, and and man, he he you just you just get treated like like an A list celebrity when you're here. And he goes out of the way, and his whole staff is just fucking great. And it just feels, you know, I've been here, I've been playing this room for almost ten years now. I was
0: gonna say you've been there since damn near the beginning.
1: Yeah. And uh, man, it just feels like family. It feels like home. And I, I just feel so grateful to be able to, to be here. And like I said, I'm not just kissing ass. I really mean it. Like this is the best place to perform in Vegas. You know, here's another thing that's interesting about Brad Garrett's club. How many nights are you performing there? Because I think this will shock most people. It's seven nights, so yeah. you're Monday through Sunday. And uh, but it's only one show a night. It's 8 p.m um which i've heard horror stories of like the laugh factory here in town where you have to do two shows a night and three shows on saturday and you're here tuesday through sunday i'm pretty sure fuck that and that's insane um and even uh even when things started opening up after the pandemic and they 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 built a new club uh while everything was shut down here they moved upstairs in this new showroom and it's gorgeous but they um uh, they were they were trying it out for a little while, and you would do two shows on Friday, two shows on Saturday, and they they recently just went back to the just one show at eight p.m.
0: The I remember in Portland, the first time I did an extended like week or weekend of shows or whatever you want to call it yeah because i'd been performing mostly in clubs that were doing like the traditional you know thursday through sunday at most you know type of thing sometimes it was thursday through saturday sometimes it was only friday saturday like that was what i was used to but i remember in portland i did harvey's oh yeah i fucking did harvey's and it was like it was cool i i the person i was performing with was brad break um and god rest that maniac soul uh but (laughs) uh fucking brad break was there and he was like yeah dude i want to have you be a feature come on in and like you know i'll introduce you to whatever his fucking name was at harvey's yeah and uh i was like yeah yeah i was like it's great so i get there and the first thing the dude tells me is i want you to be clean i was like do you know who the fucking headliner is? <laughs> like, he's gonna have a cigarette in his ass cheeks at the end of his set. Like, right, <laughs> I'm not gonna be clean. Like, and I was like, I, I'm gonna do my set. And if your comment cards come back that I was shitty, then I'll change it. But I think we're gonna be fine. Like, don't worry. Um, and then that was a club that did Thursday two shows, Friday two shows, Saturday, it did three shows. But the first one was that dinner time show that started at like 5 p.m. Yeah. And this is a thing in comedy. Everybody says that there's this curse on the Friday night late show. The Friday night late show. If shit's going to go down, it's going to be on that show. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That is not the case when you have a 5 p.m. Saturday dinner show. That's going to be the one when shit goes down.
1: (laughs) Bro, you can't be funny when the sun's out. no you can't do it man it's so i mean you can't i I hate to say you can't but i mean you you really fucking can't if the uh, unless you have a totally completely blacked out fucking room where you have no idea what day or time or anything is like you're just lost in space in that room maybe right it still feels like 5 p.m you know what i mean for sure Uh, but man, it is impossible if there's even just a little hint of sunlight coming through any kind of, <laughs> of showroom at all. You're bombing, dog. You're yeah. And it, it like it breaks the fourth wall because then like the audience
0: is like, oh, fuck me. I could be out there. I could yeah. be out there doing yes. things in that. Yeah. <laughs> and then you also have people getting power drunk at 5 p.m. on a Saturday. It's just like, oh, no, like, it's this just is not, not going to go well. It's not the
1: audience you want. It's not the showtime you want. It's just nothing fits. And, and it's just a money grab for clubs to be like, I could sell extra chicken fingers if I just open up at 5.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what it was, too. This is another funny story about Harvey's. Um, <laughs> Brad Upton, who's a friend of mine. Uh, you know Brad Upton as well. Love
1: Brad. Yeah. Fucking
0: love Brad. love Brad. He's one of my favorite people in the world. Yeah. And he told me a story one time. Um, you know, if he ever hears this episode, he'll be like, "God damn it, why'd you tell that story?" Uh, I don't care, Brad. I'm gonna tell this story. Um, he was there, and I don't think it was the 5 p.m. show. I think it was the one after the 5 p.m. show, like the the 7:30 or whatever it was but in between he had to eat you know fucking you got you get hungry especially on a saturday when you have to be there all day so (laughs) he eats in between the show and he gets the chicken fingers you know that's like the traditional thing that you usually get the wings or the chicken fingers or whatever so he gets them and they taste a little off he's just like all right but fuck it whatever no big deal could be the sauce could be whatever he eats them and he gets on stage and like within no. within 10 <laughs> minutes of being on stage, he is about to shit his entire pants. <laughs> oh, no. And he's just like and he said that he like leaned up against the back wall because in his head he was just like you're going to shit on this stage like you have to figure <laughs> something out to do. Um, and the guy that was the host was apparently a guy who's also like a headliner so brad who is an absolute king of calling an audible when something is happening yeah um i've actually experienced this firsthand with him before in a crazy show but he is very good at calling an audible he's been doing this for years like he knows his shit so uh, no pun intended on that one but (laughs) he, he uh he calls for the host from the stage and he was like hey so and so uh, is a little weird but you think you could come up and do like 10 minutes and he was like i just you know i uh i gotta go use the restroom i'm not usually like this but just you know i think the water i just drank too much water you know blah 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 and he's like fuck yeah brad so he goes up and he starts doing his set and then brad goes into that bathroom and just straight up dumb and dumbers <laughs> this bathroom just fucking yeah. destroys and then he comes out all refreshed and it was a because it was bad chicken that's immediate food poisoning you know
1: yeah so he
0: gets back on stage 10 more minutes he's like are you fucking kidding me (laughs) and so he has to do it again and he ended up having to do it like three times but then on the third one he straight up just broke the fourth wall he was like be honest with you guys i ate something bad and i'm shitting my brains out so we're (laughs) gonna bring the host back up and they just the audience just fucking lost it
1: oh my god yeah the 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 biggest fear is that i feel like (laughs)
0: yeah that's what i was talking to about it i was like dude the fact that you rolled with that he was like what the fuck are you gonna do he was like either that or i'm gonna shit my khakis yeah it's a he's like fucking saturday in the summer he's like i'm wearing as is short of pants as i can wear you know and i'm wearing like the tommy bahama dad uniform (laughs)
1: like you know god fucking couldn't believe it i've I've had some stuff
0: happen on stage but never that
1: oh yeah all these people nowadays are you know talking about they're they're worried about getting slapped on stage or getting bum rushed and all this stuff the the real fear the real danger is shitting your pants on stage
0: (laughs) it's like violently like a little (laughs) bit if it's just like a little one where you get like one of those cheap pop laughs where you try to like sneak a fart in if you have to like that's different but like (laughs) If you're pulling a Dumb and Dumber on stage, your career's right. done. Like, done, what do you dude. do? How do you get back from that?
1: There is no, yeah, there's no afterlife after that. Though. No, I can't book you. You're gonna
0: shit my stage. I can't <laughs> do that. You kidding me? <laughs> oh man. So yeah, Vegas is, uh, you know, going back to Vegas. It's it's yeah. fun. You know, <laughs> I feel like yeah. a lot of people have shit their pants in Vegas. That was the that was the transition there.
1: Transition like a pro, baby. Absolutely.
0: Um. <laughs> So in Vegas, are you a fan of old? Are you a fan of Old Town Vegas over on Fremont Street? Oh,
1: I love going over there. Yeah, Isn't it the best. It's the best for people watching. It's the best. It's cheaper casinos. It's just it, you can the, actually win money there. Yeah, the vibe. It's just it's way better over there than on the Strip for sure. Yeah. Well, I'm happy you're having fun,
0: man. I'm happy you're there because it's like I said, you've been at that club since damn near the beginning, and yeah. it really is the best place in town. So good for you on that one.
1: Thanks, man. Yeah definitely
0: so for any of any of the people listening uh tell them a little bit about yourself because you were definitely not just a comic you are a multi-talented person for sure so <laughs> tell people, yeah, tell people I, about you
1: I, I dabble a little bit sure I uh <laughs> I'm, I'm actually I'm trying to get behind the camera more and um I started directing uh films about five or six years ago. Uh, I got to direct a, my first feature film and got very lucky with it. And we brought home 16 uh, awards and nominations in the festival circuit. And, um, and then I did a short film after that. And then I directed my first one hour special laugh after death. And then I just got back from directing uh, Ken Gar's one hour special um, called American hero.
0: Oh, nice! Um,
1: we just shot that in Chicago. It was a seven camera shoot. It was incredible. Um And then, uh, and then I have a new series that I directed and hosted, um, called uh, Monsters, and it's on uh, YouTube streaming right now for free, or you can watch it at watchmonsters.com. And it showcases comedians on stage, like killing, and then an in depth uh, conversation with me, uh, one on one, talking about uh, the trauma that's hiding behind their punchlines. And so it gives you a little bit of light and a little bit of dark, and, and gives you a more rounded. Uh, view of of the comics you're seeing that, that we always hear that are you know tortured <laughs> you sure. know but nobody ever actually talks to them about it you know it's always usually after they die they're like man that guy was really sad and you're like yeah <laughs> yeah maybe you should
0: have talked to him while he was alive
1: <laughs> yeah it's it's so bizarre and I, I feel like that's the the main motivator for a lot of people is like you listen to Joe Rogan for five hours to hear bill burr talk about you know his abusive dad for eight minutes and like why aren't we just shining a big fucking light on that eight minutes for sure and so that was the idea behind monsters was taking comedians that had trauma and and have overcome it or are dealing with it and going through it and and uh and just shining a big fucking light on it um uh, and and actually talking with them
0: weird it's almost like it goes perfectly with the show that we're doing <laughs> <laughs> right yeah so if you if you're a fan of this show you'll like that show more than likely
1: and each episode is themed you know so they're about they're about 25 minutes to a half hour um, and it it uh, each episode is theme. Like Gabby Lamb came on and she talked about sobriety. She Jenny Zagrino Gabby. oh, Gabby's great. Uh, Jenny Zagrino uh, is incredible, and she I talked love about love
0: her too. She's body, awesome.
1: body positivity. And uh, um, Omid Singh was on by love Omid, and he was talking about grief. He just lost his father, and he talks a lot about it on stage. And so we we talked about it off stage. And the episodes, I'm I'm really proud of the way they came out, and I'm gearing up to shoot uh, season two at the end. Of this month. So oh wow.
0: That's amazing, dude. Congrats on that. Thanks.
1: Yeah. You know,
0: I think I think talking about traumatic stuff and talking about, you know, grief and you know, all these things that again, usually society tells you to keep your mouth shut about. I think those types of things are important to talk about as openly as you can, especially if you're somebody that is an artist and you're somebody that's a comic or a musician or an actor. Or anything like that where you put that kind of stuff out there. I think it's important to talk about it because there's a lot of people that, you know, could be listening or watching or whatever. They could be going through their own shit. And when they see or hear people like we're doing today, when they hear us t- just openly talking about it, it kind of, you know, I, at least hopefully it helps them kind of know that it's okay to, you know, to not feel okay and to talk about that stuff. You know, just because just what you might put like humor out into the world doesn't mean that there's not shit going on behind the scenes, you know? Right. And talking about that stuff just openly without it being stigmatized, I think it's super important.
1: Yeah, when I first started sharing about um, my grief and losing my parents on stage, uh, when I started becoming more open about that, I was connecting with my audience like I had never done before. And I was having people share their stories with me after I got off stage. You know, it was it went from, you know, it went from killing to connecting. And so it was less of people being like, oh, my God, we laugh so hard and blah, blah, blah to we just lost my brother and or we just lost my father. And we're so happy that you actually said this. And, you know, and now that I was, you know, my latest special is called wait and see. And and it's all about grief and suicide and mental health and therapy and, and all these things. And, and, um, now I'm getting messages that are from, from audience members that are like, you know, we, we, you know, my my brother's struggling with this. My sister is doing this. And then we're so glad we, you know, we, we came out tonight and didn't know what to expect. We didn't know this. You you were going to talk about this and we're so glad that you did. And, you know, they have that family member or friend with them that is struggling. And they're like, we're so glad that we came out tonight. And, And uh, so that was a a big shift for me and a big motivator for me to continue the open dialogue Um, because after I I did the first special laugh after death, it just, I felt like I had so much more to say about it, you know?
0: Definitely. And
1: that's awesome, man.
0: And I specifically do want to talk about the, the uh, laugh after death special um, to start with, because I think when you look at comedy, when people do bring up, you know their dead parents or like anything relating to that subject right there's there's that automatic like hesitance from the audience to be able to laugh at those things and to be able to go on that journey with you and i think when you look at certain people like what doug stanhope did with with his whole entire bit about helping his mom commit suicide essentially God, i love yeah yeah incredible it, like yeah. but it's the way that he does it is isn't a very doug stanhope way but it's brilliant you know yeah. and it takes you along for a pitch black dark ride <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah but you're laughing along the way because you know that's what Doug is good at um and you also have like Laurie Kilmartin you know, oh, the 45 jokes Lori, about my yeah. dead dad, which is yeah. like fucking amazing.
1: You know, I'm, I'm reading her book right now. Dead people suck. I'm reading that right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, lo- yeah, I love Laurie. Yeah, That's yeah. great. <laughs> is fantastic. She's one
0: of my favorite people. And so like when when I think when comics do talk about those things and they really commit to what they're talking about and it comes from a real place, it is definitely something that can be done in a way that people feel like they're allowed to laugh at it. Um, how long did it take you to decide to do laugh after death? Like how long was that process for
1: you? Oh, I was scared of that material for a long time. It wasn't something that I was doing a bunch. I I, I only did it a handful of times before I actually recorded the special. Um, it was something that I uh again, it was like it felt I, I knew I I knew how powerful. It was. And that scared me because I didn't want it to seem like a like a cheap trick. Sure. You know, I, I didn't want it to feel like a trope. authentic. Yeah, exactly. I didn't want to I didn't want to get into the rhythm like you get with other jokes and, and other stuff you do on stage. I didn't want to go up every night and be like, all right, guys, who's got dead parents? Let's see them hands. You know, like. <laughs> All right. You know, like I didn't want it to get to to cheapen it. And uh you didn't want to just would, like
0: randomly start pointing out people dead mom, you look like you got a dead mom, right? Like- <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I just it
1: just felt it felt dirty to do uh a lot of the times because again I, I knew how I, I knew what it I I knew what it did. And I knew how it affected people and I, I I knew the messaging behind it and um and I was I didn't I didn't know. Yeah, it's like Spider Man. You know, with great power comes great responsibility, and I just didn't know it's how the to truth. use my fucking powers yet.
0: Yeah, <laughs> well, and like, I mean, what can you? What all the things that you're taught, like through experience of being a comic, doesn't really translate to material about. Oh, it's your the parents exact dying. You know, it's, yeah. It's-
1: yeah, they're like, how many punchlines is in this minute and, you know, all these things and it's, laughs it,
0: per minute, like, yeah. why, how are you going to worry about laughs per minute when you're oh, talking about
1: dead parents, like, you, you got to be real comfortable in the silence. And now that I've, you know, I've gotten through it, and I'm building all this other darker material, and I'm opening up about, you know, I'm becoming more real about other things in my life. It, that I've, I realize now that that silence is where all the good stuff is hiding. You got to be when you feel uncomfortable on stage, just like in in life, you're not going to if you're not challenging yourself, if you're not feeling uncomfortable, then you're not growing.
0: Yeah. Nobody says
1: my life's perfect and I should change some things. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's like that is not funny. (laughs) Yeah. You you need that challenge. You need a little bit of that that uh, that pressure to be like, okay, how how can I you know you 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 live in that un- uncomfortability you you live in that silence and you and you you do the fucking work and um, real quick i feel like there's an alternate reality where dead parent crowd work is
0: like a challenge in stand-up boot camp you know what I mean that seems like a last
1: uh, comic standing like gimmick game that they do like where they put a laundry mat and stuff yeah
0: yeah like I feel like that's for sure a stand-up boot camp thing that they did with like fucking Kyle Cease where he was like all right you got to talk about dead parents to strangers fucking go
1: (laughs) oh god that's great
0: I feel like that's an alternate reality somewhere (laughs) it has to be
1: (laughs) So uh so yeah, I was so I was doing the material, but not all the time. And even when I was doing it, I was I was coaching the audiences sometimes. I, you know, I would tell them I would I would give them a heads up. I would say, Look, we're gonna get dark, and then but there's gonna be it's gonna be punched up. I need you to trust me, and and do you trust me? And I would let them know that's gonna be like a little roller coaster ride, and and um and then I would Did you ever get a guy
0: it. that was just like I don't trust this fucking dude and gets up <laughs> in the <leaves.
1: laughs> I had a lot of people that were definitely like okay like not every crowd was like fuck yeah let's do it and right definitely a lot of like what is he talking because where is know, this going saying you have dark material can go either way you know you're like i have some really dark stuff and people are like okay let's hear And like i'm fucking this goat the other day and <laughs> This isn't what we signed up for. This is not that you didn't say it was going to be that kind of dark, sir. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, um, but I, I, the first time I actually ran it night after night was, uh, the week before my special, I was at skyline, uh, great club in yeah, Appleton, yeah, and Appleton, and I, I had to run it because I was, I was filming it the, the following week. And so it was the first time Thursday through Saturday, uh, you know, twice Friday, twice Saturday. Um, Running it every night. And there was a moment where Saturday night came along and I added something to it that I'd thought of that day. And it was the first time I said it out loud. And it was the part about laying in your mess and actually like feeling things and going through it before you move on. And how I think society is wrong by the messaging of like, well, you just have to get right back up there and get back on the horse. It's like, no, sometimes you have to lay in your mess. Sometimes you have to really feel it. And uh, that was the first time I said that part out loud. I remember coming off stage. It was the early show Saturday. And I just locked myself in the green room and just like cried. And it was so draining. And like it took a lot out of me. And then I did the special. And then I, I had a choice. I was like, I'm either never going to do this material again, or I'm always going to do this material. And I chose the latter. And I started doing it in a way that I felt comfortable with sharing that didn't seem cheap or easy or, you know, all those things. And, and it's still authentic and and still getting my message across and, and, and still being able to, and I'm so glad that I did because, you know, the audiences were so, uh, you know, again, just the, the relatability, everybody is fucking broken. Everybody yeah. is going through something and grief is something that connects all of us. And, um, and so what I was getting back from the audience was tenfold than I ever had from doing comedy for almost 20 years.
0: Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting because I agree with you 100 percent on all that. I think that talking about grief and I think grief, hardship, pain, uh, struggles, things like that are all things that people go through in their own way. And it's also a way to look at the world When you see it, like, you know, you can't judge the book by its cover. You can't tell just by looking at somebody that behind that facade, they're not going through some shit. And when you go on stage and you talk about these things, it really also opens the audiences up and it allows them to kind of feel things again, you know. And this is kind of also where you go into the thing when you're talking about grief on stage. You have to be careful with it, but also it's hard to say it you have to be careful with it but you also don't in the sense that like you don't have to formulate uh like oh talking about it in a way that you would write a traditional joke or write a traditional set because it's so raw to talk about those things you kind of just let it happen the way it's going to happen and then once you do that then you're like okay now where's this part like where's the where's the part that's funny like where's (laughs) where's the part that relieves you know the stress of it or relieves the darkness of it a little bit and I'm, I'm a big fan of that kind of humor and that's what I've started to do with a lot of my material um, especially over the last few years because I went through sobriety and then I went through therapy. And then once I went through therapy, I peeled back a bunch of layers and found a whole bunch of shit hiding underneath floorboards that was like, ooh, OK, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. push that down for a while. Didn't know those were hanging out in the crawl space, yep. uh, you know, and then once that stuff came out, then it was like, OK, now this is stuff that I can actually joke about and I can I can actually like find the humorous aspect of it. And that's things like depression, suicide parental you know situations like my biological father was an absolute fucking monster but he was also full of drugs when he was a monster so like i had to compartmentalize the part of that where it was like like the drug sick dad was real bad but the non-drug sick dad totally loved his kid but i don't remember any of that part you know like it's, it's like those parts are right you got to find out like where it is that you can talk about these things and present them to audiences without it being like an assault of something that's just dark 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 with no
1: relief yeah. from it you know yeah yeah and yeah and yeah that's so true you you have to you have to relieve that that pressure valve every once in a while or else it'll it'll overheat yeah and and you're gonna lose them um
0: I feel yeah. like if you lose an audience in the middle of a dark subject type of thing like that, like if you're doing an extended set with darker material about those types of subjects, if you miss that relief point, I feel like that fucks up all the show. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, like if you relieve it too late, it's like, oh shit, they're already exhausted. Shit. Ugh. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> How do I bring it back? You know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I was doing uh, when I was working on the the latest one. Um, then again it, it dives even deeper into like now i was being more open about suicide and, and and therapy and stuff like that and um uh when i was doing that i was I jokingly i was actually in minnesota and i was uh the way i was keeping the crowd was i kept going let's get darker <laughs> <laughs> and then i actually made it to the special because it was like i found that it it did relieve them a little bit. It relieved some of the tension, but it also let them know that like, we're going to, we're going to go deeper and, and that's, and we're, but it's still going to be fun and it's going to be okay. And I'm not going to like leave you hanging, you know? Right. Um, one yeah. of the reasons, one of the reasons that me and Lauren decided to do this show
0: is because like, and I really wish she was on the show because she would definitely have a lot to say about this, sub, this, you know, content too, because yeah, In her act, she's she stands out from other comedians, um, you know, in the country, especially as a female, because she talks very openly and very aggressively about the shit that she's gone through. Like she talks about being a former meth addict, you know, like shooting heroin under a bridge. And like she talks about um, parental abuse and she talks about sexual assault and she talks about all these things that are very like hard to hear on the surface Right. But then when you peel back what the jokes are about, they're actually really great jokes and they're actually very great takes on the material, you know, and that's kind of a thing that is always it's always a gamble, you know, like no matter what, there's always that potential for it to go bad. And if it goes bad when you're talking about that type of material, like that's a different feeling. <laughs> it's, it, yeah. You know what I mean? It's a way different, like, because oh, it's so personal. Yeah. It's like, oh, my fart joke didn't land. I don't care about that. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. I'm talking about talk- a drug overdose and it doesn't land. It's like, ah, fuck me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because it is so personal and that, but uh, yeah, you know, I, I was kind of used to, I, I've always done really personal material and whether it was happy or sad or whatever. Um, I've always been telling stories about my family and this and that I've never been one to, you know, I don't keep up with the Kardashians or the Dallas Cowboys. And so it's like, I, uh, you know, I don't do a lot of pop culture references or political shit or any of that, uh, in my standup. And so it's always been very, very personal stories. And, uh, I've learned that the hard way where it's like, if they don't like this joke, they don't like me. <laughs> right. Yeah. The rest of the show is going to be real rough. <laughs> right. If you don't like this. Oh boy.
0: So with the uh, laugh after death one, just um, so people can get a feel for it um, prior to, you know, going out and listening to it and checking it out. Yeah. What is the main subject matter in that special? Like what's the story behind that special?
1: Um, so I lost my, uh, my stepfather, um, a few years ago, and then a year, a year after his death, I lost my mother. And, um, the last 20 minutes of the special is all about unpacking that and what that was like. Um, uh, cause I was still touring f- full time. I was doing 46 weeks a year on the road when I lost my parents and it was kind of unpacking what that was like to lose them in the, kind of the height of my career and i was doing i started doing television in that time and doing different things and so all this great stuff was happening while losing my parents and um i had to kind of balance those two worlds and became overwhelming and talking about going to therapy for the first time and what that was like and you know um yeah it's just it was opening up about just losing losing them um but the rest is special and again like you 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 pat it with with funny things. So like the first half of the special is all weed jokes and, <laughs> and uh, you know some dick jokes in there and this and that. And then and then we get real. At the, then you bamboozle the them. And yeah. You get to the end. You're like, ah, you guys ah. got 20
0: minutes left. Guess Everybody's what? dead. <laughs> <laughs> Time for the death material.
1: <laughs> right. And the difference is in this this latest special. Wait and see. Uh, I, I recorded a full hour, I did a full hour and it was, uh, you know, I did kind of the same bait and switch where it was fun and and, and different up front. And then the last half hour is all about losing my grandmother and suicide and mental health uh, and stuff like that. And I just, I chopped it and just put out that last 30 minutes oh okay um and so it's all it just starts in the sadness it's all it's all darkness it's It's all all darkness darkness, baby Uh... (laughs) you know and this is the other thing about dark material though i think a
0: lot of like those types of jokes and that type of humor has more lasting power over the years you know yes Like if you're talking about a comedian's legacy and I'm not, you know, it doesn't have to be somebody legendary like George Carlin. It doesn't have to be like that. Just a comedian's legacy in general. Like, you know, when all is said and done, what they leave behind is their body of work. And those type of things where you talk about the stuff that's dark and you talk about the stuff that's personal and the stuff that like really hits you at your core. Like that's the stuff that sticks around. And that's the things that make people remember comedians after they're gone like you know if you remember lenny bruce it's not because lenny bruce was hilarious because he fucking wasn't like he was not (laughs) that's not what he was you know
1: right (laughs) he was was an
0: outlaw yeah yeah and that's what you remember about lenny bruce it's the same thing with you know uh bill hicks bill hicks the stuff that he talked about was dark personal invasive material you know and it's not because he was this prolific amazing joke writer It was because he put shit in your face that was just like, oh, now I have to think about this, Mm -hmm. you know, like I have to actually put myself in these shoes and experience this along with the artist and that type of stuff sticks, you know. Now, also, there is a dark side to that material, though, like you've I know that you have not just had positive experiences with the reactions of people on this. There's been some
1: pushback. Yeah. I was in uh, Arizona and I was, uh, it was, you know, I wrote all of this stuff, um, during the pandemic. And so it really wasn't tested yet or, you know, uh, all that stuff. There was no, I I never did any of the zoom shows or anything like that. And so when I started going out on tour again, uh, I just had this new bag of jokes that I was just trying to see what fits and how it went and, you know, all that stuff. you you're just kind of working it out. Right. And, um, Uh, I was, you know, I talk about suicide and and uh, my struggles with it and depression. And I had on two separate occasions, two back to back weeks. I did um, I did Phoenix, Arizona, and then I did Tucson, Arizona, back to back. And in Phoenix, I had a guy come up to me. He was a he was a veteran and he came up and said how triggering it was to hear about suicide and depression and how I shouldn't be talking about it. And this is a place for people to escape and, and all these things. And, you know, I had told him that I was I wasn't making fun of it or or, you know, trying to make it seem less than it was or take any power away from depression or suicide or any of those topics. I was trying to make people more aware of it. And that's what I've been trying to do this whole time. And my messaging is always just like, it's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to talk about it. it shouldn't be this taboo subject. And I think that's part of the issue, especially with men in this country, how we're not allowed to talk about our fucking feelings. Um, you know, yeah, I joke dude, about, dudes don't get to cry. What right. <laughs> I talk about it on stage. I just, you know, I joke. I'm like, I grew up as a dude in the 90s in the Midwest. Like nobody I knew went to therapy. You tell somebody you're sad in Ohio. They're like, we're all sad. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I'll go back to work then. Uh, so, yeah, you, you have this stigma where it's just push it down, ignore it, you know, uh, buck up, you know. And it's kind uh,
0: of like growing up as a dude too, because it's like it's like, yeah, I actually like, cried this morning. Like, what are you gay? It's like, yeah. I mean, I don't know, maybe, but also I cried this morning. <laughs>
1: like, you know, like,
0: exactly.
1: Well, we're just, you know, we're programmed. We're the Marlboro man. We're built ford tough. You don't fuck with Texas. All of this alpha bravado that just uh that just hangs over the the uh, uh the united states and and men in this country is just like ugh it's just you, you might uh, no wonder we you know a lot of the people idolize putin he's because he's shirtless on a fucking horse and they think that's what masculinity is and you're like that's not what it is <laughs> uh, anyways so and then in tucson i had i had somebody come up and he got r- in my fucking face like a couple inches away and was like kind of yelling at me about how what I was doing was wrong, how it's not okay to talk about suicide, how it's not okay to talk about depression, how people are coming out again to like escape that and they shouldn't be reminded of it. And he felt like um, I was picking on him and, and all these things. He felt attacked and triggered and all of these things. And it, and it made me second guess what I was doing cause I I never want to I want to help not hurt obviously of course and and so it made me think you know again because all this was new material all this was you know out loud for the first time in a lot of these cities and so I was like well am I hurting or am I helping like I don't I want to make sure I'm doing the right thing and adding not only using my I want to use my voice for good you know sure and And uh, that's very uh, important to be cognizant of too
0: you know, especially talking about that type of stuff, it's. I think it's OK to definitely sit back and like reevaluate what it is that you're talking about right. just to make sure that what you're putting out there is what you want to put out there and what
1: should be. Put per- out there. Perception is everything. And it doesn't matter if you're OK or if you're not offended by this or whatever. Somebody else might be. You need to be aware of that. And that goes into a larger conversation that we're having as a a global uh, community right now when it comes to you know pronouns and this and that and everything else you know that that is the stigma behind it where you have a lot of people like well i don't give a shit well guess what they do right so fucking be cool man (laughs) right it's such a weird it's
0: such a weird thing to be hung up about yeah like especially the pronouns thing and like it's different okay so there here's what i'll say this yeah It's different to have a difficulty in, you know, using somebody's uh, preferred pronouns. It's different to have a difficulty in that because you're not used to it. That's right. different because that sometimes is just like you having a brain fart and being like, oh, fuck, I forgot, you know, they, you know, or whatever. Right. There's a difference between that and somebody that's just like weirdly stubborn about it. Like, no, nah, I'm not going to call them what they want. Like, yeah, why the f- why? Like, what what is broken in your brain that makes you yeah. think that you should have to do that?
1: Like, that's very weird to me. It's, you know, I blame a lot of just in, in that realm, too, is I, I think, uh you know, I talk a lot about the, the politics on both sides of it. And I think uh, we deal a lot more with ignorance than we do hatred. And yeah. yes, there's a lot of evil people out there and a lot of this and that. Sure. Duh. Um, but I think a lot of it. when it gets down to it is ignorance you know you ask a lot of the people a lot of dudes in the midwest like what are your pronouns like well I'm a veteran I'm a husband I'm a father (laughs) right It's like, that's not what we're talking about but they don't mean you know they they just they don't know any better and that it goes into the other conversations where it's like you know uh, should trans people be able to use this restroom and this and that well they you think Bob that's working at the fucking you know washer and dryer factory in town knows any trans people no. You think no he's ever even seen fucking uh, RuPaul uh, tv show before? no never no <laughs> so, so when you ask Bob at the fucking washer and dryer factory if he thinks trans people should be able to use the restroom he's like well, oh and then you're yeah, like Bob shit. hates
0: day people and you're like, right. God damn it you're right. <laughs> that's it's not like what this, it is <laughs> this has blown immediately out of proportion
1: <laughs> yeah yeah so it's yeah so uh, what I was I was trying to make sure that I was again not hurting the community, not hurting people that are actually, you know, depressed and dealing with struggling with suicidal thoughts and all of these things. And I actually, I, I went to Facebook and I explained like what had happened. And I was like, maybe I shouldn't be doing this or what could I be doing different? And a lot of the feedback was people saying that I should give a a warning uh, before I do that material. And I started doing that in some of my shows where I would give a disclaimer. That you know, hey, this last I'm going to do one more big story, and um, you know, it, it involves depression and suicide and and mental health and all these things. And if that bothers you, this is this is your time to leave, and or right. just know that it could be triggering. And that helped to a certain degree, but it didn't seem like it was going. I I didn't see a big like most of the audiences just sat there like what the why are you telling us this you know right right it was like it was almost like okay (laughs) uh because i you know like you really
0: buried the fucking lead on that one sir yeah yeah,
1: and i hated it too because because of that right there just what you said it made me feel like a magician giving away his trick you know what i mean it was like hey i'm gonna pull a rabbit out here in a second uh so don't be the rabbit's
0: been here the whole time guys just so you know but i'm gonna pull him out of the hat
1: (laughs) and then you and then you pull the rabbit out and people are like oh cool rabbit you told us about you're like god damn it so it felt like it was ruining what i was or taking away some of the messaging or power behind what i was about to say or talk about or whatever and and uh and again like so with that mixed with the audience reaction of we don't give a fuck. Uh, I, I stopped doing that. And I haven't had anybody jump in my face. And I haven't had anybody say that it was too triggering or this or that or, or whatever. I just um, and so I don't know if that's again, like, I don't know if that's right or wrong. I just know that that's working for me in this moment.
0: Right. Well, I mean, we do. So me and Lauren do this show live, not the podcast, but we do a comedy show that we produce every month. Uh, here in New York of the same name and usually what we do is we have a headliner come up and they do you know like 45 minutes they do a full headliner set which in New York City is like unheard of you don't get to do that in New York
1: City that's 12 minutes yeah right exactly <laughs> um,
0: so we have them come up and we have them do, like run their full headline set like they'd be going out on the road yeah but it is targeted towards more material of this sense you know of this type so I host that show And when I host that show, I do give a disclaimer up front because it's a live audience and because it is a whole show of that nature. So my disclaimer basically is thank you guys for coming out to the Tromedy hour, obviously based on the name, you guys can understand that we might be talking about stuff that is, you know, darker and, um, you know, more real and stuff like that. So trigger warnings are in effect. Um, You know, if you get, you know, if, you, uh, if you're sensitive to material that talks about some darker subjects mat- matters, then, um, you know, it might not be the show for you, which is fine, you know. Right. And if it's not, you know, have a wonderful night, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but if you guys are in for the ride, let's fucking do this. And then I'm as the host, I tell them that I will ramp them into like, you know, kind of ease them into the type of stuff that's going to be happening, um, you know, that people are going to talk about on stage as far as like just the depth of it. So I'm kind of the one that tests the waters, but I immediately bait and switch people because I tell them that I'm going to go ahead and bring them, bring them up to the darkness speed at the end (laughs) of the set is what I tell them. Basically, like I'm going to be the one that introduces you guys to the, you know, to the type of stuff that we may be talking about tonight but don't worry I'm not going to start it off dark we're going to go ahead and start easy so my dad tried to sell me for drugs when I was a baby (laughs) and then then they just go like god all right fuck (laughs) yeah yeah and then I go right into it and it usually works because when I do that it's you know obviously tongue-in-cheek that I'm doing the bait and switch but also it gets right into a joke about my dad trying to sell me for drugs when I was a baby, right? (laughs) and so it it does work and but I feel like if I was the headliner and I had to give that disclaimer prior to my show it would be a little different because that's like you've had show before and you know beforehand you've had comics before you you've had a host you've had a feature you've had a guest spot maybe or something like that and then you get on the stage, and then you do your stuff, and they're like, "And now we're going to get dark." And they're going to be like, "What the fuck just happened?" Like,
1: yeah, like you get, know? yeah. and it also applies an unreal amount of pressure to you. Yeah, you know, you're like, it's like announcing, like, "I'm going to dunk from the from the half court line," and people are like, "Oh," and then you just you keep waiting and waiting and waiting, and then and then you know, you're like, "Well, when's he going to?" Dunk from the? Does he ever dunk from the? House? He, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're you're basically like the Babe Ruth of suicide
0: jokes. Yeah, <laughs> He's gonna yeah, be like, all right, exactly, exactly.
1: It point puts you the, on. This... Point to the
0: hanging man in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: Yeah, it just puts this unreal pressure on you for a crowd to be like expecting it because uh, the the level of darkness again. When you say you're gonna do dark jokes, it's such a vague thing that people don't know what to expect, and so what's dark to some is not dark to others, and so you have. Uh, you know this again this pressure this unrealistic uh setting that you that you put on yourself there's a there's a great there's like uh, a roulette
0: wheel a roulette wheel of stuff that you could talk about that's when you put correct. it on dark material because like yeah you know, it could be suicide but then you could go home disappointed be like i mean he said it was gonna be dark material but he just fucked his sister yeah <laughs> like,
1: yeah exactly there's a, a great line i always think about in the Avet Brothers song that says uh the worst thing you could do is draw a hungry crowd and oh, I yeah. think about that all the fucking time. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: That's actually, that's a great line.
1: Yeah. I think about it all the time when you, when you, when you advertise a show or when you talk, when you're on stage, you're talking about what you're about to do and all this stuff. It's like, man, the worst thing you could fucking do is draw a hungry crowd. Uh-huh. Absolutely.
0: So I want to, I want to ask this. When you say that you talk about stuff like grief and depression and suicide and stuff is the suicide stuff that you talk about. Is that because you had an attempt like that you did or was it something that you experienced the other way around like from the
1: outside um it's a mixture of both okay um yeah i had called the 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 joke is about calling the suicide hotline and the advice that i got from them and how absurd it was and and all that stuff and and i talked about um opening up to my my buddy ken gar when we were on the road and how i how i always thought in my life that My story just ended in suicide and saying it out loud to Ken, because I never told anybody that I just always kind of felt that
0: way. Sure. Had it in the back of your head.
1: Yeah. I was just like, yeah, it's just, that's the way it goes. And, um, you know, it was never like an immediate thought. And that's what I also, you know, I prepped the crowd because after you say that you have to let people know, like, I'm not going to do it right now. Like, that's not my big closer. (laughs) Yeah. Don't worry, guys. (laughs) I told you it's going to get dark. Uh, Why do you think I have you guys wearing
0: ponchos in the front row? Right.
1: <laughs>
0: oh, what kind bad. of a fucked up bait and switch would that be? Have oh like a splatter, a splatter zone for the first two rows, and then so just great. be like, "Just don't worry about it, guys. I'm just gonna crush one watermelon. <laughs> It'll be might, fine." This
1: might be the night.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just in case, this is just in case.
1: <laughs> oh god. We'll
0: see how this set goes. This one's on you, people.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's out of my hands. It's out yeah. of my hands. Um, but I you know i once i shared with ken and this was just a few years ago i'd said hey yeah i think you know we're talking we're on a six-hour drive from phoenix to, to la and and we're talking about you know everything and and i said hey you know i think my story ends in suicide and he was like what <laughs> i was like oh you don't you don't think about that and he's like no i was like <laughs> like like never and he's like no never I was like, not even like, you know, like what's behind door number three, a way out, you know, <laughs> it's
0: like we've been in the car for 10 minutes. Who starts right. a conversation like that? <laughs>
1: right. uh, and so that was the first time that it ever that I ever said it out loud to somebody else. And it set off alarm bells. And I was like, oh, maybe this isn't a normal feeling. Sure. And that's uh, kind of you know and then ken and i talked about the idea of gratitude and 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 how i've been trying to implement that more in my life and which which helps because you know you when you think of things like like gratitude and all these self-care things i think a lot of it is you think it's it's overwhelming you know it's an overwhelming idea you think of like uh, make a a list of things you're grateful for and, and then you you get this overwhelming sense of of priority where you're like, Oh, I'm grateful for people have food in India. and I like, <laughs> You know, and you're like, no, come on, man. And, and Ken was like, I write down things that, you know, like even little things like, Hey, I got to take a nap today. A lot of yeah. people don't get to take a nap in the middle of the afternoon and fucking I did. Yeah. And I was like, you're writing list about napping. <laughs> He's like, yeah, that's what it is. Gratitude doesn't have to be this big, overwhelming boogeyman of an idea. It can be these small things that you go, that you make every day that you go, okay, I'm, I'm grateful that I, I, I got the fucking nap. And, um, and so once I had that and once I conquered this, this idea of like, okay, it can be, it doesn't have to be this. It can be that. Um, that's the great thing about self-care. It's not, just a one size fits all thing it's what you're capable of what you're motivated to do what you can accomplish i think that's a lot of times why they you know in in self-care they always say like you know if you're struggling mental health make your bed first thing in the morning it's a thing that but that's a fucking easy thing that you can do and guess what it fucking works and it's dumb and it's simple and it's whatever but it for some people that is a big accomplishment of the fucking day there are many any a days where I didn't leave the bed, uh, I couldn't find the motivation or energy to, to give a fuck to even leave the bed, let alone make it. And, um, and so this, I, this idea of like, again, this overwhelming sense of like, just feel better is so absurd. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and it's yeah. all about those little tiny improvements that you can make on a daily basis, like making a bed or writing about how lucky you are to take a nap and doing the taking a walk outside and getting some fucking vitamin D and these little fucking things you hear about and you shrug off because you're so fucking sad <laughs> that yeah. nothing matters, that it's crazy to think that anything that small could matter. The just feel better
0: thing is a lot like when you look at addicts and they're just like, and you and like people say to them, well, just stop drinking. Yes. It doesn't fucking work like that. It
1: doesn't fucking work like that.
0: It does not at all. Like it's, you can't just stop. In fact, most of the time, if you just stop, that alone will kill you. Like you can't actually just stop. Like it's, it's a weird thing when it comes to depression. People immediately, or like when mental illness in general, because there's a lack of understanding from it, because Somebody who hasn't experienced depression looks at a depressed person and on the outside, what they see is sadness. Yeah. So they think, oh, you're just sad. It's like, that's not what it is. It's not. It's not that you're just sad. It's actually like an absence of happiness,
1: which is very
0: different. You know, right.
1: you're because it changes your whole value system. Right. Like these these things that you, you take advantage of or, you know, these daily chores or errands or ideas or even feeling normal. Are, are gone and your value system is so down. And so the idea of even again, like, I'm going to go to the kitchen to make a sandwich. Why oh, oh, I do want I don't give a fuck about a sandwich. I don't you know get right. I mean? like, the, the, the point system is all fucked up. And so again, yeah, it messes up all of the, and that bleeds into daily tasks that can even be as easy as, you know, when people say, why didn't you reach out to me? Homie, oh, I, because i had to
0: pick uh, up the phone to do that do you know how fucking hard that is
1: exactly i can't even reach out to myself and you're you want me to (laughs) like that and i feel like that that pressure and i i don't know how to fix that right i don't know what the answer is um but i know that that's a common thing when people say well anytime you need help you you know i'm here for you well what if i can't reach out right um You know, I've been one of those people that I do tell people And I do tell
0: people at the end of every episode of the show That if you need to talk talk to somebody And you're able to, by all means, you can message me Like, I don't even have to know you Like, I don't have to know who you are You don't have, we have to have no personal Connection whatsoever But if you need to just contact Somebody to just vent And get the shit out You know, and you want, and you feel like You can message me, fucking do it You know, my messages are open, my DMs are open You're not going to get any judgment from me. Sometimes I do know that sometimes, yes, just talking it out or just venting it out or just letting that pressure release switch get flipped is enough to at least push you through to the next step of whatever it is that you're dealing with. Yes. But on the other side of it, yes, sometimes you can't even make that effort and that's okay. Sometimes that just happens to be the shit that you're in and reaching out to grab that phone is just not in the cards that day like it's just right
1: you know it's not sometimes it's fucking not yeah there was you know I went uh you know I talk about it in the in the special too but like I went months where I was living on my own for the first time and you know I always had a roommate or a girlfriend or whatever and then I had you know I went through a, my parents passed and then I went through a, a breakup with a, a woman who I was engaged to for eight years and you know, suddenly my partner was gone and my parents were gone. And I was just alone living in this studio apartment in Hollywood by myself. And,
0: oh, um, you really were looking for suicide. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and, uh, and I was just, you know, I, I, you couldn't get out of bed, couldn't do these things. And you you have these these struggling moments where you're at your fucking lowest. But you wouldn't know that from the outside. Of course not. You know, I was still doing shows. I was, you know, yeah. I wouldn't hang out afterwards or whatever, but like, I'd do the show and whatever. And even like when we got, when I got out of it, and, and months later, I'm talking to my my best friend who would check in with me every day, and I he would ask me how I'm doing and stuff, and I'm like, I want to die, and he'd be like, All right, man, you know, and I'm like, No, I want to fucking die, <laughs> right. and, and months later, like, we're no talking
0: ha-ha about this one, <laughs>
1: yeah, and we're talking about it. And he goes. I didn't realize how serious it was. And I thought you were just fucking around. I thought you were just being lazy and and this and that. And I was like, no, no, I, I was pretty clear. I wanted to lay there and just <laughs> evaporate at some point. Um, like, yeah. Don't know how I could have made the words any more clear. <laughs> right? So sometimes even when you do reach out, you don't get the attention or help that you need. Um from from even your closest friends or whatever but it, so what it comes down to and this is what I talk about a lot too is it's you versus you yeah. right and Very you much. have to be the one to want to make the change you have to be the one that wants to get better you have to be you have to make that decision because if you don't nothing will change and it doesn't matter how much even if my best friend flew to my fucking house and sat with me night and day and and we watched movies and he he bought me a new car and all the things i ever wanted and if i don't want to be better i'm not going to be better
0: thousand percent it's it's got to start with you actually wanting it to happen.
1: It has to. It has yeah. to.
0: And that's also again like so real quick question, have you had any addiction struggles yourself?
1: Um no, but my my father I my, my, my yeah, most of my family, yeah um my father had a, a similar story to yours where he had a uh, joke around it uh, my father was, was so good at being a dad he had two families uh <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> same same time <laughs> overachiever but yep. he um with his other family he had really a go-getter uh, that guy <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah he had uh he had uh two daughters and a son with with another woman and then he just had me with my mother and um he they're they're a lot older than I am. They got to have him as a as a great dad, as this incredible man and father figure in their life. And then he got in a car accident. He was driving truck, and the doctor I I say like his doctor was his first drug dealer. Uh, putting almost pain always pills are and yeah, and he got addicted to him. And then the dad that I got was on pills and drinking all the time. And I barely saw him and I don't even really know who he was or what he stood for. or You know, I, I, there was very little attachment there. And so when, when I started, when I was working on my book and I was writing the story about my father, it was this idea of, well, there's two different versions of him he it's unfair to say that he was this bad person or he was this drug addict or he was this or that because there was a big part of his life where he wasn't right he went to fucking vietnam he fought in the war he you know he worked at a factory he raised a family his two daughters weren't even his daughters his wife had cheated on him and hid the pregnancies as his his Yeah. And he found out later in life and still raised them on his own. And my, my sister, this is true. My sister didn't even find out she was not my father's kid until after his funeral. Oh shit. That's how dedicated my father was to raising this family, being there for them, being so loving and caring and all these things that you're supposed to be as a father. However, very absent in my life. And so my perspective of him and and version of him is vastly different than than theirs and other people in the family and so you have this duality of people all the time that I don't think that we 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 actually I think I think a lot of times we blindly just label people and just say well they're this they're that and yeah and man they're a lot more than just this one thing
0: you know it's kind of funny that you bring that up because I met my older brother for the first and only time at my biological father's funeral which was wild so i when my when my biological father died i was 13 and um i remember the day like literally like yesterday and it's very weird that I still have that memory as clear as I do because I have done so many drugs
1: <laughs> there, <laughs> has, there are
0: many black black spots in my uh, in my memory but I remember it very specifically because my mom came into my bedroom and she had been crying and it turns out that she had been talking to my grandma which is why she was crying and my mom and my biological father had a very, 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 very toxic relationship. So when she was talking to me about it, she woke me up in the middle of the night and she said, um, I don't know how to tell you this, but your father died. And oh, wow, I was 13 and it didn't like crying didn't happen immediately. And this is a weird thing with me when I deal with grief. I don't cry immediately almost any time
1: same yeah same like
0: it like it's the yeah so like it hits you and you're like huh okay and then like your brain kind of goes through the processing and then like maybe it's that night maybe it's the next morning maybe it's a week later where it just all of a sudden you're like oh now you get to cry like it's just oh fuck okay here it comes like you know all right here we go um but when i was talking to this when this happened with me i um i didn't cry i was like more like what the fuck you know. Like, I just saw my dad last week, you know? And then I got on the phone with my grandma, which was his mom. And that's when I started crying, but it was because she was hysterical, you know? Yeah. So it was kind of one of those things where it was like those crying by proxy things. So it wasn't like I was crying about my dad dying. I was crying because my grandma was crying. So after I got off the phone with her, the crying stopped because it was very artificial tears in that sense. Like, it was just, it was very much like a, like i'm i'm crying because you're crying i'm not crying because i'm sad yet because right. at that like, point
1: it was like somebody was cutting onions it was just an, a, a reaction that for was for sure yeah
0: <laughs> yeah so yeah. i
1: didn't i didn't even get sad first
0: and it was because my relationship with my biological father was very weird because i had what i had with my biological father was that he when i was very young he was very addicted to drugs he had a bad cocaine problem Um, he had a he had a heroin problem he was an alcoholic he was literally a professional arm wrestler like he was in the movie over the top okay (laughs) i shit you not um like (sighs) he he was this fucking big dude he was always wearing hawaiian shirts that were only buttoned up halfway with nothing underneath it he had a cocaine mustache like it was just this dude looked like a fucking like a villain from Miami vice. And he lived in Eastern Washington. Like there's no reason for him to look the way that he did. Um, In hindsight, I'm like, Jesus Christ. Of course he was on drugs. Like (laughs) you look like you fucking traffic it. So um, I, it was a complicated relationship when I was younger, but then in the later years, like, you know, when I was in my teens, um, he had gotten sober. He had turned things around. He'd gotten partial visitation rights. And so, like, I developed a relationship with him again. And the last thing, this is what really fucking, like, stuck with me before I went to therapy, was the last thing that I said to my father was I gave him a hug. And I said, I love you and I forgive you. Oh, and then the man. next thing I heard from, heard about my father was he's fucking dead. So um, when it came to that, you know, I, I had a lot to process. And then I get to the funeral. And my grandma, um, who also recently passed away, um, she was one of the ones... She fucking lived for a long time, though. She lived to, like, 93 or something like that. Um, But she was all about the theatrics. So she had the fucking news there. She had cameras and shit. There is no reason whatsoever for the news to be at my father's funeral. He He was not like a local hero. He was not a fucking... Like politician, if anything, he was part of the police force only because he had been in jail many times. (laughs) Like there was no reason, no reason. And I remember we get there because I was in the back of the in the back seat of the car. This is again another memory. My mom was like, "She brought the fucking news here. Like, what is going on?" And as a kid, I had no idea why that was weird. In hindsight, I'm like, it was real fucking weird. So I get there and I see my little brother who was like the spitting image of my dad. And then I meet this big dude and he goes, oh, I'm Ray's other son, Michael. What? And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? You know, and this dude was like considerably older than me. Like he was, you know, he was not like a couple of years older. Like this was a full blown relationship thing before my mom, blah, blah, blah. My mom didn't even know this dude, like didn't know who he was. So oh my God. Yeah, I shake his hand. He's a fucking lawyer. He's got a family. He lived in Oregon. I'm like, yo, I got an older brother. This is crazy. I have never talked to that dude one other time. <laughs> like legitimately. Like I am I'm 39 years old. I have not said one fucking word to that dude since the funeral. Like and That's it's insane. not Not for a lack of trying, you know. Like, I mean, we we just never reconnected, which was always a weird thing. Um but it took me a long, long time to come to grips with that whole situation that happened when I was that young. And like, I had a bad drug problem. I had a lot of the same vices that he had. Um, I had the same type of a temper problem that he had. Uh, we were both, um, we were both aficionados of cocaine. Um, (laughs) you know, it's a way to spruce it up a little bit there. Um, but like, we always had those things. Then when I went through therapy after I got sober, And kind of peeled back the layers of everything. I was like, okay, so I know what I've been holding on to this whole time. And that's why all these things have started to, you know, like spiraled and blah, 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 blah. And it's because I never actually dealt with it. I immediately started shutting it down and immediately started pushing it down when I was young. And then I just never took the lid off. You know what I mean? Right. Like I just buried it. I just buried it, put, put, turn the pressure cooker on. And then I never flipped the valve. Like I never flipped the switch. Instead, I just started taking drugs and I just started drinking and I just started, you know, having stupid relationships and, you know, not knowing which direction my life was going and blah, 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 blah. So it was kind of a weird thing like that. And then once I started doing comedy, I started to like toy around with things like that because I was like, oh, this is kind of cathartic, you know, to talk about these things that are like sneaking up into my psyche that I thought I had buried. And then when therapy happened, then I was like, "Oh shit, like there's a lot of stuff I can talk about now that I never even remembered was there, you know." And it was helpful. Like it was helpful not only just to me, but also helpful to other people because I would talk very openly about the stuff that I went through. And it was it's weird to try to find the funny aspect of you know, your father trying to sell you for a brick of drugs. That's a weird, <laughs> right. it's a weird thing to look at and be like, I bet there's some funny there. Like it, that's an odd brain process to have, you know, <laughs> just yeah. how do I make that funny? You know, it just, what it, it turns out the way that you do that is you just break down all the layers of what happened in that situation and find the absurdity of it. At least that's what worked for me.
1: Right, exactly, and that, and that was how a lot, a lot of my we have such similar stories here. My I have a, a half brother that I haven't spoken to, you know, almost since my father's funeral, and we've never been close. He's just the exact opposite of me. He's in and out of prison, drug dealer, and this and that, and so it's just I, he was always kept separate from me my whole life, and so that tradition just kept going after everybody else passed away. Um, and then,, uh, the um, the the way I dealt with my mother's death was similar too. I it wasn't the harder drugs, but it was weed, and I was high. If I wasn't asleep, I was baked out of my fucking mind and it was numbing and it was a way to escape and it was a way to not deal with reality. And uh, it it was so bad that the only (laughs) I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would be bawling my eyes out in my sleep. And I'm not talking like, oh, I just woke up a little sad. I mean, hard crying, waking up from a dead sleep because that was the only time that I was sober enough. The marijuana would wear off in my sleep and my subconscious would process the grief and I would wake up out of a out of a dead fucking sleep and just be hardcore crying yeah Uh, and I would get high and go back to bed right
0: Uh, (laughs) dude weed hangovers are emotional that's yeah I think people forget that about weed because like I'm a proponent of weed like if you can smoke weed and live your life fucking great do it but yeah a weed hangover is purely emotional like if you happen to have it wear off in, in your sleep like you were talking about everything that you were trying to forget is they're making you breakfast in the morning. <laughs> like,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I eventually, you know, you eventually get fucking help and you go to therapy and it helps so much. And I had no idea. Cause again, growing up, I didn't have any examples of therapy in my life or anything like that. Um, and man, does it ever help. It really does. And also, here's something to
0: like, and I know people, some people are afraid of going to therapy and I understand that because it's terrifying. Right. Like, I'm not going to lie and say that it's a fucking, you know, hop, skip and a jump. It's all sunshine no. and rainbows. Like not <laughs> no. at all.
1: It's work. It's know? work. Again, it, it comes down to like, you have to be able to, to, or you have to want to work on it. Um, because you, you can go and you can waste your time and just, talk about your feelings for an hour a week and just be like yeah this is what happened but if you're not doing like you know my therapist gives me worksheets and stuff like that to do and like articles to read and 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 book suggestions and stuff like that like working on yourself is a fucking job yeah you have to be able to want to do that work if you want to see the changes that you that you are after and you don't want to waste your time by just you know uh, you, you have to, you have to work on, on those things in, in yourself to get better.
0: And I think it's also important to mention that if you go to therapy the first time and the therapist doesn't work for you, that's okay. Because it, it because it's not always just the first therapist that you get is the right one for you um, because therapists are different people too. So yes. sometimes you do have to go through a process of, you know, two, three, maybe four or five different therapists to find the one that actually is good for you the one that you vibe with the one that you are comfortable with the one that that is better more suited for the you know the particular ingredients in your brain soup like it just you gotta have the right one and it is okay to be like all right you're not the therapist for me let's go to another one let's it's a lot like
1: dating yeah
0: very much is Um, don't date your therapist, by the way, just just so we're clear. Yeah, Uh, let's just
1: make that. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, That's not the message. Uh... Don't blend
0: those lines. (laughs) Um, very much like a stepbrother's fucking like Will Ferrell situation. Yeah. Where he's just trying to date his therapist the whole time. (laughs) Um, but yeah, like I know, I remember when I went to my therapist and I brought up the stuff with my dad and the therapist straight, this was, I've kind of made a joke about it where I said that my therapist dumped me on the first session because... (laughs) They were like, "I am not equipped for this one. We're gonna have to get you to a higher up representative." Uh, <laughs> right. You know, it's like uh, they're like, "I don't have enough time uh, under my, you know, uh, under my practice to give you the help that you need." So we're gonna go ahead and bump you up to another person. And I was like, "That's cool." Like, you know, at that point, I was kind of open to it, and I was like, "All right, like, yeah, let's figure out who works well for me." And I got somebody that worked well for me, and this is what I found out is that. For me personally, because a lot of my trauma comes from the male side of my family, a female therapist was better for me because I had an issue with emotionally trusting males because that was where the crux of my trauma was from. So opening up to a male therapist was much harder for me than opening up to a female therapist because I have a very good mother. So like that whole that whole relationship um, was also something that I had to kind of understand about myself because the first couple therapists were men and I was very, I wouldn't say standoffish, but it was a lot harder for me to open up to them. Whereas when I got a female therapist that was a very nurturing person, it was like, Oh shit, some stuff's coming out. You know, like it's, you know, now the, now the things that I want to talk about and I need to talk about are starting to come out. So yeah, there there is some give and take on it. You got to figure out what relationship, you know, professional relationship works best for you when it comes to therapy. Most of the time, you're not just going to walk in and be like, I "Fucking nailed it on the first time!" Like it's just, right. not, you
1: know, it's not not usually
0: how it's going to work.
1: No, and it took, and it takes a while, especially like again, one of the things I talk about in the special too is how we need to revamp the uh, mental health system in this country, and how it. I mean, it took them two and a half months to finally pair me up with somebody, and they they paired me up with four people before. I eventually just like dropped out for a little while, um, trying to go through my health insurance, jumping through hoops. You know, you're contacting your, uh, you know, you're like, if you find a therapist that's in our network. And so you talk to them and they're like, you have to talk to the actual yeah. therapy. And then you talk to them and then like call your health insurance. And so it's this big back and forth. And finally, it took them two and a half months before that's I got to wild. get into anybody to, to actually like sit down and talk. Dude, do you
0: know how many suicides you could have committed? Right, for two and a half months? <laughs> right. So many,
1: <laughs> so many.
0: You could have created an elaborate one like the game Mousetrap, like right.
1: you know, <laughs> a murder mystery. Yes.
0: Yeah. Dude, look at that. Yeah. Two and a half months is wild. That's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's also when you brought up the suicide hotline thing. Uh, this is another thing I wish I wish Lauren was here to talk about this. Because we were, uh, when me and Lauren lived together, there was an issue uh, where she called the suicide hotline. It was it was a bad time, and I was with her when this was happening. Like I was in the room with her, and when she called it, they you could tell that the person on the other line was just trying to keep her on the line so that they could like trace the call. You know, oh uh, yeah, because they had to send the cops, they had to send the fucking ambulance or whatever. Um, but the funny thing about it is that first off we ran like we were on, like we were fucking fugitives we were just like, <laughs> was weird thing. We we're like, all right, fuck this. We're going to leave the apartment. We're going to go to a fucking diner down the road. Yeah. And we, did. we, we left the house for like two hours and then we came back and we went to sleep. And then we woke up to them knocking on the door and it was just oh like, oh, fuck, they still showed up, but here was the funny thing. They sent two ambulances.
1: Oh my God. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, what the f- did they think that she was trying to commit suicide by cutting herself in half yeah like, why, t- why why the theatrics
1: boys <laughs> i've seen this before there's going to be a lot of body parts
0: yeah like <laughs> what the fuck you know um what and it was it fuck? was a weird situation but like you know I by no means will tell people not to call the suicide hotline if you need to call it fucking call it. Um, right. But you know her situation specifically was funny in that sense just because it was like you know of course the people that they sent were people that wanted to help you. It was by no means a situation because I think people can be afraid of that sometimes. By no means was it a situation that was like when people showed up there like they were not aggressive. They were not um they were not mean or judgy or anything like right. it was they're like, getting the very, fucking
1: van <laughs> right
0: they didn't like handcuff her and throw her in a fucking ambulance you know it right. was it was a very it was a very um easy situation and it was all done precautionary and stuff like that which is completely understandable you know um but the two ambulances thing was just like all right that feels like a waste of company time like
1: yeah that's that's insane did that
0: guy just need some extra hours today is that what's going on (laughs) did i help somebody's paycheck because if so that's great good for you like so um i right now you've got your specials out and you've got like i said you've got the newest one out the newest one is that out right now for people to watch
1: Yes, it's on uh, YouTube or you can watch it at MaloneComedy.com. Uh It's called Wait and see and it's a half hour special. Um, and it's again, that's the one that's all about suicide and grief and mental health and therapy and all that fun stuff.
0: I mean, you know what we, we say all that fun stuff is a joke sometimes, but you know what? I think talking about it on stage and I think the jokes that come out of those things actually are fun stuff. I think it's uh, I think you can actually <laughs> yeah. get a good laugh out of, out of the pain. <laughs> And uh, talking about it, and it is cathartic and it is, you know, kind of it's a cool thing to watch it. And I think that's also if you look over the years, you know, you've seen other people like you've seen Gary Goldman do it with the Great Depression. And right. stuff like That Chris Gethard is known for talking about, you know, depression. Love Chris, and, he's got a know, great
1: HBO special. Yeah,
0: it's fantastic. Neil Brennan did the three mics thing, you know, yeah. where one of those microphones was real fucking dark. one of those microphones was broken right you know um so like when you do it right which i've known you long enough and heard enough of your comedy and seen you perform enough times to know that you did it right um you know when you do it right it's something that i feel like is definitely helpful to a lot of people so i'm happy that you had may have made the decision to make that part of your comedy journey um because i think definitely man i think more people need to hear about that stuff and more people need to um feel like they can talk about those things just because fucking the world's hard like the world is not an easy place to navigate
1: no to say that it
0: is would be completely
1: you know and and, and at the end of the day you know comedy is about relatability and when you're talking about you know grief and depression and all these darker things these are still relatable items and maybe even more relatable than talking about the latest episode of the fucking kardashians or whatever you're isn't toast weird like okay great it's just <laughs> Once as relatable. it becomes
0: toast it can never be bread again <laughs> like, <laughs> right all it right.
1: shouldn't be treated as taboos as, as as it is and and i'm trying to break that stigma and hopefully i'm uh, again i'm i'm helping and not hurting and, and that that's always the goal
0: I mean, that's the whole reason I wanted to have you on the show. You know, I mean, aside from the fact that I like you and I think you're funny, if you didn't have anything to talk about of value with this type of show, it wouldn't just be like, ah, come on and talk about your dick. You know, like, <laughs> right. it's like your dick is depressing. Is that what that's what it is? <laughs> that's that's the message is. that we're getting across here. Um, but no, I, I like what you're doing a lot because, you know, like I said, when I talked about Lori Kilmartin, you know, before the thing that she did on Twitter when she was basically live tweeting, the process of being there while her dad was dying. Yeah. When people initially saw that, it was a hard pushback. Like people really did not react well to that in the Twitterverse because to the naked eye, it was fucked up.
1: Yeah. It comes off uh, when- a dismissive or, or again, like mocking. Like when those guys jumped in my face, it was, it was, they felt like I was making fun of it or not taking it seriously.
0: Right. And then as you see the the when you see the timeline of tweets, you realize very quickly that this is not fucked up. It's not mean in any way, shape, or form. It's somebody who happens to be a comedian that's processing a very traumatic experience. Right. In real time, you know? And in real time finding the humor of the situation. Because there is humor in most darkness. Like there really is, you know, like I lived at one point, I lived at my mom's house. This was after I had left the house once, failed, became homeless, and then moved back. I we had lived with my grandma who was dying of cancer. And my mom was like, well, you know, I'm not gonna have you die in hospice. And my mom works in the metal in the medical um field and has for years. So she was like, no fuck that. You're coming home. You know, so we brought her home and you know we had this dying old lady on our fucking in our living room um that was our morning every morning just like fucking woke up saw that you know um and to the naked eye it would definitely be a super fucked up depressing situation but my grandma was funny as shit my grandma knew exactly what was going on and she was hilarious so she would joke about it she would like she would be the one that would bring levity to the situation right you know and like i remember one time uh she actually had called my little brother over to the couch and she was like ah i just want to see you. i want to give you a hug blah 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 and she called him over there and she did the dad thing where she farted and she just <laughs> held him there you know yeah um and you have to remember this is cancer so she's got cancer farts oh, so yeah. like my little brother was like ah ah no <laughs> <laughs> and she just she goes "Ah, you got to stay here you got to take it i'm dying <laughs> <And she> goes, <sighs> like he was just like, oh, what do I do? What do I do? And my mom is just laughing her ass off. She's fucking just crying laughing. She was like, she she got you on this one, buddy. And he was like, ah, ah, I love you, grandma. But, ah, <laughs> you know, that's great. and my grandma had that kind of sense of humor. So it's like she was the one that actually made that process easier for everybody, you know?
1: Yeah. Um, and, that, and that's what it is. My family always solved uh, hard topics with a harder laughter, you know?
0: Yeah. I think it's necessary and uh again man i'm really happy with what you're doing i'm happy that you uh you're finding success in this um because i think that you know not just as a friend but as an artist i think that your voice is definitely important in this whole you know grand scheme of things especially when you're talking about this type of stuff so good on you for doing it man um by the time thank
1: thank you so much of course
0: man by the time this show comes out, it's not gonna you're gonna be um no longer in Vegas, I'm sure, because I think it's we're probably gonna be releasing this at the end of the week. So they might be <laughs> yeah, able to no catch worries. you. They might be able to catch you on the the Saturday or Sunday. Um, but
1: uh but after Vegas, uh, where can people see you? What's your next few shows coming up? Um, you can find everything at MaloneComedy.com and see when I'm coming to your city. All my tour dates are updated there. Uh, you can get my book, Dead Serious. Uh, you can get a signed copy at MaloneComedy.com as well or stream my new special, Wait and See, all at MaloneComedy.com or you can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, whatever you have, uh, at malone comedy. Awesome. Your
0: social media is always great too. That's uh, that's the thing that I was bringing up in the beginning of the episode. That was really funny because... <laughs> you had posted (laughs) you had posted i think it was wait and see i think is actually what you had posted and somebody was like is this going to be another another bunch of material where you're just sad about your dead parents yeah yeah and it was just like first off weird troll
1: <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Who's mad about that? Like,
0: yeah, and then I commented on. I was like, "Hot jokes on you." My next comedy special is going to be sad about his dead parents. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I responded to that guy. I was like, "No, this one's about suicide." Thumbs up. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: And I think that guy actually fucked off after that. He was like, "All right, I'm sorry."
1: Like, yeah, you know, just yeah. Like, I mean, what, what can you do at that point? I mean, and I'm just you know, I'm real quick before we get out of here. I'm just I'm I'm finding myself at this crossroads with my audience where it is uh you know i'm doing all of this new material and i'm 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 definitely not doing the stuff that a lot of them started following me you know so it's i'm at this crossroads of people falling off because i'm not doing the old i'm not joking about the old stuff i used to do and i'm getting a new audience that is into this darker stuff and so i'm at this weird crossroads right now and so it's always funny when when uh when when that when that meets like that (laughs) yeah definitely yeah it is and you know like it's kind of funny too just with social
0: media it's such a such a weird wasteland of yeah. people that can just say whatever the fuck they want. And it's sometimes you gotta you gotta be ready for those things. And I think the way that you approach it is perfect. <laughs> oh, you, you approach know. it with thank just you. a little dark humor jab, and they're just like, all right, fine, you know. <laughs> yeah. Which is great. So Malonecomedy.com, they can also follow you on all your socials. I highly recommend that. And I highly recommend anybody that gets the chance to see you live, definitely do that. Um, you know, you've always like I said, you've always been somebody that I've been uh had the pleasure to perform with because you're always great and we've always had good shows and uh you know this this whole conversation that we had today i think is uh i think was really great
1: so i appreciate Thanks. you coming
0: on to the show absolutely for
1: having me i really really appreciate it thank you.
0: definitely ma'am and anybody listening like i said earlier if you are happen to be a person that can and wants to vent out your frustrations or talk about what's going on and you just need an ear to bend by all means you can reach out to me on uh, at Jonas Barnes comedy on Instagram at Jonas Barnes on Twitter. Uh, if you look me up on Facebook, I have multiple accounts because I commonly get banned on Facebook because they don't like some of the things I say sometimes. <laughs> uh, so the one that you're always going to be able to find me on uh, is the one that has Willem Dafoe as the, uh, as the profile picture. Um, it's actually a nice little bit of nightmare fuel because it is a mixture of Willem Dafoe and Guy Fieri and uh, just real terrifying <laughs> imagery Love there. That. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's the one you'll be able to find me on, on there. Um uh, we got some great episodes coming up uh, soon too. We're actually gonna be talking to Kelly Carlin uh here in just the next couple of days. Oh uh, nice, which is gonna be fantastic. Uh she's great. I've talked to her, I've been talking to her for years. Um, actually, because I went and saw her show a Carlin Home Companion uh on Mother's Day years ago with my mom. And then I oh, met wow. her after the show. And from then on, we've just, you know, we've bullshitted with each other over the years. And she's also got a really, really interesting insight into this, especially if you, if anybody has seen the uh, the documentary that was just out on HBO, George Carlin: yeah. The American Dream. Like, it's so good. Oh, it was. There's so much stuff about George that you just never knew, and you got to see in that documentary. Um. So she's gonna be a really interesting conversation too. Um. So yeah, we have a lot of good people coming up, and. Uh, michael you've been awesome so thank you so much for being so open and talking about all this stuff um thank you brother definitely man enjoy vegas and everybody check out uh michael online check out his shows live and uh tune in uh next week when we have our next episode you guys have been fantastic thank you so much for tuning into the tromedy hour it's been fun